Okay. Nationwide primetime. Obviously, if you were there in New Orleans, you saw the magic unfold whenever the folks from Sweet Dreams, Mattress and More out of North Carolina rallied this group together. They handed me a guitar. Andrew wrote a rap song. We were walking down the aisles. You had Nationwide Primetime's media group there. You're soft typing again. No, I'm soft typing because I'm going to Nationwide Primetime. This is exactly why we have the computer. So I'm going to see the dates. I'm going to hire for so this I position. So I was going to, no, it's cool. Like you're going to be talking about it and then I'm going to find the dates and then I'm going to come jump in at the end of what you said and give the dates. information. Yeah, yeah, but now you like totally busted me out on it. So I got to do like that. all clumsy now. We had such a great time at Nationwide Primetime. And that's the thing. You got to be there in person. It's probably one of the benefits that members talk about the most is going to the events, being surrounded with world-class thinkers and like-minded retailers and those that are really trying to push their businesses to the next level. And we're going to be back. Dos times dos. Dos times dos. And Jeff Rose sent me an email actually this week saying, hey, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's get together again on that. So really excited that we get to come back. Um, the dates, guys, in Houston, Texas, my hometown, uh, February 9th through the 12th. See how that worked? I just pulled it up and here it is. Voila. You can go and check it out yourself, nationwideprimetime.com. Uh, there are now exactly 113 days, 21 hours, and 8 minutes As of this recording. As of this recording to, uh, to get in on that. And, and, and so, here's the deal. Once you get into the holidays, you have Thanksgiving, you have Christmas, you have Hanukkah, you have the New Year, you have all these different things going on. Well, guess what? You're going to be like, oh my gosh. And then market is after that for a lot of people that go to Las Vegas market. February 9th through the 12th is going to sneak up on you. So register now. Get your plane tickets. Come hang out with Dust Marcos. We'll try to do something special. We're probably going to do campfire stories again. Yeah. Which is really fun. Campfire. And we had, uh, how many did we do? Did you see the videos? 3,000, I think. No, 20, 25 of them. We but did 20, exactly. Did you, yes. did you see the video from it? They I, sent us that. It was really I cool. have that in my watch queue because I wanted yeah. to go through and watch all of them all at once. Yeah, it's really neat. Um, and getting Super to fun. learn about their stories. Um, I, I told Jeff Rose, I was just pulling up this email. I, I said for this Mattress University, maybe we should do a whole hour on the history of Tape Edge. <laughs> well, I mean. You know what I'm saying? Like, how did Tape Edge come about? Like, yeah. Who invented a Tape Edge for a mattress? Tape like, Edge the machines. evolution of colors. And how many times does the average operator stop during the application of a Tape Edge on a mattress? Yeah. Because so, of that detailing matters? Yeah, so he was, uh, he was not. It's a maybe. Not excited. It's a maybe. It's a maybe. It's a not a no. Anyway, check it out, you guys. February in Houston. Be there. Dos Marcos Podcast. It's the greatest mattress industry podcast on the planet. Wait, isn't this the only mattress industry podcast? He's Mark Kensley. I truly felt bad for you at the time. He's Mark Quinn. I think Bigfoot was actually very pleasant. Together. They are Dos Marcos. I'm on 270, driving down the highway. Highway 270. I-270, it's a big loop around the outside of St. Louis. Oh, yeah. I'm driving 70 miles an hour in thick traffic. Okay. And... That's a mix. There's like a lot of off-ramps, and it's very... uh, congested there five six lanes of traffic yeah 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 lots of people lots of action i'm driving along very fast i mean it's the speed limit but 70 miles an hour is fast and this is what i hear 
like this, it wasn't even like a movie scream. It was like a get me out of this car immediately scream. And like horrible And it's scream. my wife in the passenger seat. Her mom's in the back seat, by the way. My wife's in the passenger seat. And she is literally backpedaling like with her hands underneath her, like crab walk style. Sure, sure. And she has somehow removed herself from the seatbelt. Wow. Uh, while the seatbelt was at- attached. And then at the last minute, gets it completely off, and she's in the back seat before I know it. And before I even know what has happened. And I'm still driving 70 miles an hour. I'm, I'm white knuckle gripping this thing at this point. It, luckily, the Subaru, I have this Subaru. It has lane assist. It's almost like you're playing bumper pool. So it's kind of like bumping me back in. I look over. There is a half a hand-sized hairy spider Ooh. inside, inside the, car. the car inside the car wow and it's on that crossbar like if you're looking out the windshield as a passenger <laughs> yeah. it's on the crossbar like right at eye level and this thing is just covered in fur and it's pretty large you know and i'm sitting here going oh my gosh and she's gone man she's out she's like deuces i'm out she's in the yeah she's in the back seat so i'm sitting here i'm oh. like give me a piece of paper give me a napkin give me something nothing nobody had anything for once in our lives, wow. nobody had anything. And guess what happens? No idea. The spider finds a little crease and disappears. Oh no, it didn't. So didn't you? So was it on the window? It was on that on crossbar. The, on the crossbar. Okay, I, yeah, I think I just agree. to the right of the window. Okay. Like if you're looking at the windshield. So rolling the window down wasn't necessarily a solution. Right. Okay. Especially right. when it disappears. How does a spider that big find a way to disappear in a car? That's what I was saying. Because I watched it happen. And I'm like, how did it find that crease? Wow. And how did it flatten itself right. out that much? This is a perfect story, by the way, for the Halloween season okay, that we're in. Okay, great. Yeah. So we're driving along. And you know, Tara's terrified. Her mom is skittish as well. And all of a sudden, like I said, I'm still going 70. I'm trying to get, get to where we're going at this point. And here he comes. Pops his head back out. And he's on that crossbar. And he starts walking across the top where you grab the... The oh my gosh handle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's right above the window, but it's going back toward Tara and her mom. And they're screaming. There's nowhere said, to go. Somebody give me something. Nobody had anything. I opened up the console. Shoe, get a shoe. Right. I should have grabbed. I opened up the console and I see these wet wipes. And and I said, her mom's Risa. I said, Risa. I said, as soon as I say, grab these handful of wet wipes and I'm going to roll down the window. Boom. I roll down the window. This thing's this hairy spider hanging on for dear life. It won't let go. Tara's in the background. Ah, get me out of here. And finally her mom like leans forward and I feel the bumpers of the Subaru like boom, like kicking me back into my lane. And I look over and there's a big white truck and the whole thing is happening in very fast motion. And she swats at it, swats at it. And finally I go hit it hard. Boom. She hits it. <laughs> and we think it flew out the window. I go, did, did it go out? Because I was trying to drive at this point. Did it go out? I'm 99% sure. And Tara's like, 99% sure. Not good enough. Yeah, so we never saw the spider again, luckily. And, and odds are really good that it's out of the car. Wow, thank God no one died here. Oh my gosh, it was terrifying. And you're trying to drive in all the traffic on yeah. top of it. So that, wow, that's... And you know you're in the back seat, so now where do you go? That thing's crawling into the back seat. Now they're trapped. It's like she's doing nothing laps. they can do. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, wow. Well, we figured out what it was. I mean, I, I was st- I kind of stepped away, and I'm like, what? How did the spider get in the car? Yeah. And I told Tara, I go, I bet it was the mums, because she got oh. a, a load of mums from her sister, 
which was like an hour away. And then you buy them from the kids during, sure. the, during the fundraising season and stuff. And so the moms, she tells her sister, um, and her sister's like, I had a giant spider in my car too. I'm like, you guys were hauling around moms in your car. That's what happened. So that, that spider made the trip with us so all if, the way from Arkansas to St. Louis. So now, now he's a St. Louis spider. Now he's probably smashed on 270. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Well, you live. That's the most important thing. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. So um, you let's let's talk about this, man. We haven't talked about it. I keep saying let's talk about it. You keep putting it off. You don't want to talk about it. And I'm saying let's talk about it. Kinsley is on the front page of HFB, Home Furnishings Business. If you're watching Facebook Live, Kinsley, can I'll you hold show up that to picture. There you yeah. go. Wait, which one is? Uh, Leadership. Let me see which one? Is. Leadership, the next generation's road to success. 40 under 40. 40, 40 people under 40. under 40. And look right there. There's Kinsley. Check him out. And so what a if great... If I put it really close to the screen, then we'll be the same size. Yeah, what a great thing, man. And so they, they acknowledged you here, and then they put your age in there as 31. So why did you lie to them about that? That would age? be... Inc- well, they got it right in the body copy that it was 37. So you didn't tell them you were 31. But in the headline, they had me at 31. So, right. so I don't know if I can pass for 31, but thank you, HFB. I feel bad because we were going to have Jane Chero uh, from Home Furnishings Business on the show. And I had an emergency situation and had to cancel it. So thank you, Jane, for your willingness to be on the show. And thank you for this, uh, this honor. It, it is really an is honor. an honor. It is a huge honor. And so um, I haven't even had a chance to read it yet. But what did you say? Like, what, what, are they, what were they asking you? I mean, they didn't ask me anything. To, you, you get really? nominated. So somebody was nice enough to nominate me okay. for the 40 under 40. It was me. And then they, thank you very You're much. Welcome. I appreciate that. You could have had me the whole time. <laughs> and then they, they go through a catalog of, of what I'm sure are very worthy applicants considering the, the class that I'm in here. And then they talk about you know people that, that are kind of making an impact in their respective pieces of the industry. Okay. And I was really honored to be a part of it. Very cool. Yeah. And I, I mean, my friends, Sean Pennington and uh, Guy Perez are both in this one as well. So really, really nice honor. And you know, home furnishings business, I, I want to give them a shout out. Because I, I try to talk to retailers and find out where they're spending their time, like what publications. Sure. I mean, obviously, we, we know they're listening to this podcast. Of course. That's the given. Um, but they are, the, invariably, when, when home furnishings business is brought up, they mention the research as, aspect. So they're getting really good nationwide samples, quantitative data, qualitative data from home furnishings business that informs what they're, what they're gonna do, decisions they're gonna make, helps them kind of benchmark themselves against others in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so I hear that a lot, so I wanted to give a shout out. If you, if you don't subscribe to Home Furnishings Business, do it. And I'm actually heading out to North Carolina to their event for this coming up. Uh, oh, very cool. So what yeah. are they gonna do? You guys gonna do like a talk they, or a panel or? No, no, it's like a, just kind of a celebration networking event. So they bring you the 40 people in and you get to hang out and get to hang out. That's cool. Yeah. Good. You have to report yeah. back on that one. Yeah. So, uh, you were not on the last podcast. So it was Uno Marco for that. And I had a good uh, opportunity to speak to Derek Miller, the chief sales officer for SSB, sort of Simmons betting and Melanie Hewitt, um, who is the chief marketing officer. So, um, anyway, and you said you listened to it on a plane. So I thought they brought up some really interesting stuff. Um, that maybe we can talk about today because we didn't get a chance to interact there. But um, a lot of stuff about brand. Did you catch that? 
I did. Okay, so we know the evolution you were of missed, the brand by the landscape. Way. You were thank missed, you by the way. Much. I had a lot of people reaching out and go, oh, no, it was a good podcast, but we missed Kinsley. Well, thank you. And, as they should. Um, so I missed you on that one, too. It's, did you um, know how to do a podcast without me? Oddly enough, let me tell you, oddly enough, it was weird because I, even like the beginning... There's something about doing it with someone where you're like kind of depend on them or there's just a confidence because you go in my mind, I'm like, I can screw some of this up and I know you're there to like, you know, react Screw it to up that. even more. No, to catch <laughs> me, man, you're there. And so I'm thinking when, when you're doing it on your own, you, you, it does go through your mind that, okay, it's on my shoulders at this point. Like Kinsley's not there to backstop me or I'm not there to backstop him. Yeah. So that did get through my mind. And I, I was like, uh, and I literally had a hard time. I'm thinking in my own head, like, how do I start this one up? So it was weird. You did a great Very job. Ah, thanks a lot. Appreciate you did a great job. I, I thought you asked some really relevant questions. And honestly, a lot of the questions were from the Facebook group. So the Dos Marcos Facebook mm-hmm. group. Um, so shout out to, to no the doubt. audience there. Great questions. And mattress um, salespeople. Mat- oh, and mattress salespeople. Yeah. Group. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, tell me, what was the impact on you and what were your thoughts based on what you heard? <laughs> Sorry, I just glanced up to the at the screen and I was telling the spider story earlier and TJ says, 70 miles per hour, that's, that's a rookie number. Got to pump those up. Yeah, but he's got a freaking race car. So Isn't, you know, isn't his race car him. the same color as my jacket? Yeah, uh, I don't think, I think it's, yeah, it might be. <laughs> it might be, so I'm not going to, make a comment about a shout you. out to a uh, Phil station pillow kiosk and Don Wright tuning in live on Facebook. So you did a great job. Number one with the SSP podcast. Thanks to, to Derek and Melanie for hopping on the show, joining us for, for the first time. Um, Melanie, obviously newer in the industry, great perspective, anchoring a lot of what they're doing in research. We saw that with the iComfort launch and, and Derek, of course, navigating kind of a new environment with um, kind of the evolution of the sales side for SSB. So we appreciate them taking time to, to come on the podcast and talk to, to you. Um, and one of the things around the 12 minute mark, if you want to go back and listen to this, Melanie gets into this conversation about do we need brands? And we were talking ahead of time and it's like, wait a minute, what is the brand landscape like right now in the mattress industry? And overwhelmingly, I think you can break it down into several different streams. There's a lot of conversation about the online brands, right? So you're, you're online, right. so let's call them online brands. They're starting online. There's a lot of conversation around the decline of traditional brands. Then there's a ton of conversation around private label. And that's the one we paused on. And and let me add one to that. There's also trade brands, right? So Uh, brands that are brands, but probably known to trade insiders and not necessarily consumer brands. So I think that's a fourth layer there. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that's a a huge bucket. And, and, And this is where trade brand and private label start to enter into the same same conversation because if you don't have national advertising you know which is a huge component of being a known consumer known brand then your trade brands and your private label brands end up being something that people only see whenever they get into the shopping phase sure so the future of brands i don't think we can you know put the crystal ball you know the propel crystal ball in front of us and look into it and know exactly what's going to happen but there are some trends that i think are worth 
debating and maybe pausing on. So take me into your thoughts on private label. So private label for anybody who doesn't know is like a retailer instead of carrying Englander or Serta or Spink and Co or whatever, they're going to come up with their own house brand and have a manufacturer make it. That's the essence of it. Yeah. I think to, to talk about that, I think it's important to go back to something Melanie had said, which is their North star is to build brand preference. Right. And so what do you, okay. What do you mean by brand? Yeah. So, you know, we, we used to talk about, um, Sealy when I first joined Sealy and Stearns and Foster as being brand and awareness. We talked about awareness numbers, unaided awareness and awareness, uh, and aided awareness. So I can recall the mattress brand without anyone giving me any, um, nudge on that. Like what brand of mattress do you own? Just name five, name Name five, name five. And then there's the aided, Hey, here's a list of brands. Which ones do you know? Right. Gotcha. So, but you know, temper, we've talked about this before Kinsley, they've shifted gears and changed that. Now it's a preference game, right? So, um, in, in the, the ask me campaign, we talked about this with Rick Anderson when we had him on the show. Um, and it is about, um, what relevance is there? So are people asking for you? Are they clamoring for your brand? They walk into a store intent on buying one of those products, right? So um, anyway, and so that's the, the that's what we were talking about there. So the shift is in private label. Interestingly enough, there is a major shift into private label. There are a lot of guys, if you look at Jordan's Furniture, if you look at Art Van, um, Mattress Firm, uh, Living Spaces, Brett Thornton, what he's doing with his private label there, um, American Signature and Value City, there's a lot of guys building private label programs. It's some of them, Jerome's, uh, some of them not necessarily to replace the brands, right? So the, the, the preferred brand, like a Tempur-Pedic, um, and all of that. But they're, they're supplementing what they do with the trade brand because of improved margin. Like right now, Kinsley, think about it. Like these guys, traffic is down. And a lot of them want improved margin because they got to keep their business thriving. And um, so anyway, there is a big shift, I think. And they're, they're bringing in and creating their own brand um, in, in as many ways as they can. And not replacing it. I don't think any of them really think. Well, I mean, some of them do. Um, but there's, there's a tension, too, I think, for some of them, don't you? And I want you to react to that. What is the tension is, so for some retailers, we are the brand. You'll hear them say that. Um, versus we are the brand and acknowledgement of that, but you know, having a mattress brand to have synergy with our brand is a good thing, right? Which was really what Sam's was all those years. Sam's and Serta, I always felt like it wasn't just that it was Sam's is the place to go shop for, you know, low price products, but it was them having a Serta brand that the, the two things together seemed to work well. So what are your thoughts on, on that, is it the retailer? Are they the brand, or is it the betting brand that matters most, or both? I really do think it's a combination. And you know, you heard, you know, Keith Kane. Is it Koenig or Kane? Furniture, another great. How do you say his last name? Koenig. Koenig. I, yeah, that's. I heard somebody say Koenig up on stage oh, at Furniture today, I and I was know. like, maybe I, I got Koenig. it wrong. Hi, Keith. Keith. Hope you're doing well. Sorry, brother. If, that, um, if I butchered that. But he but. said he said it really well one time. He said. Retailers want great brands. There just aren't a lot of them. Right. And so it kind of gets into a conversation about, I really like your example about Sam's. I mean, we talk about Sam's and the warehouse clubs. 
But sometimes whenever you think about certain purchases, you're like, I'm going to go to this retailer because I'm pretty sure they're going to have what I'm after. I told you about my grill story. I wanted to go buy it at Lowe's because I wanted to see it. And I, I like Lowe's. I prefer Lowe's. Um, so that became a filter. But then I did want to understand more about these brands, what made them different, and was it going to be a good grill that would enhance my chefery skills? Chefery skills. I just skills. made it up to see if you'd ask wow, me Wow, that's good. I like so it. So it did, by the way. Um, come over. We'll have some burgers. Uh, so, But anyway, when I got into that search phase, I was looking, okay, before I go to Lowe's, I want to go on the, the Lowe's website and look at the products. Then I want to find the product and maybe even go to that product's website which if it's exclusive to Lowe's and you want to do some more research as a consumer, they're probably not going to have that product on their website. It's a charbroil, by the way, and they didn't that I could find. So it was exclusive to Lowe's, so there was a little bit of like, okay, that's the end of the, end of the road, um, but it did get me in the store and I made the purchase. So when I think about private label, I think one of the limitations, so from a merchandising standpoint, I get it. Maybe you have gaps to fill in in your store. You have price points you're trying to hit. You have regional type product preference that people would have, organic, blah, blah, blah. So maybe there's something you're trying to fill in. You're like, I can't find it. Will you guys just make it for me and I get more points off it. But then there comes a point, and this happened at Leggett all the time. You would have people that were making mattresses and they would have their own spring making equipment and they could do, maybe do it cheaper but they were limited to that one spring making machine. They didn't get innovation. They didn't get marketing support. They didn't get sales training. They didn't get any evolution off of that line unless they were driving it and that was their core competency. So I think you know, from a private label standpoint, there's definitely an argument to be made and I think people are doing really well with some of their stuff, um, but investing in a brand is a different skill set if you're going to do it like professional. So I'm going to go there in a minute, but hang with me. One question. Why do you think there is push into private label or seems to be some trend there? Why are retailers doing that? A very wise person once told me the answer to the question 99 times out of 100 is money. The other one time it's Jesus. <laughs> I think Jesus would debate that. <laughs> I think he would. Society would maybe. I'm just glad I didn't say that. You're going to have to explain that one day. No, but I mean, think about it. The answer to the question, why are they doing money? That, I think it's going right. to be motivated by money. I mean, we hear that retailers are needing like 60 points to stay in business, right? No, that's not that's talking about mattress only. I mean, that we're not talking about the accessories and adjustable attachment rate and all the stuff you get from that. But I mean, you, you hear people needing like, and I know your stuff can get, you, you get big margin stuff that you're, you're selling margin dollars are bigger. Um, so it's probably money motivated in some capacity. If they f figure out, Hey, we can earn more points up this. Why wouldn't they? I think you're right. And I think to tag on to that Kinsley, I think part of it is um, absence of something else. Right. So if you really, well, yeah, excitement. I mean, look, let's let's look at what can we do, retailers voice here, what can we do at $1,000 retail, right? Compared to what can we get from our suppliers for $1,000 retail. So apples to apples, what product is going to win? 
And where is the better perceived value? Because at the end of the day, as a retailer, if you do not deliver a higher perceived value, then you are going to probably lose the business to the guy down the road that does. And so if, and, and then think of it this way too, you know, Melanie said, and I think she said something right. Um, she said a lot of things, right? But this in particular, um, their North star at SSB is to build brand preference. So Serta and Simmons and Sealy and Stearns, if, if you look at all the investment being made today by the online brands, which is a whole nother discussion, um, it's crazy the amount of money they're spending. It's $300,000, $400,000 a day, Kinsley, that these guys are spending. And the traditional legacy S brands have not been investing that way. And so there is, does SSB want to create preference for their brand? Of course they do. Everybody wants preference for their brand. But my question to her also was, what does it cost to do that? You know, building preference for a brand and her, her answer was, it's not just money, it's experiences, right? It's partnerships, it's innovation and product. I think she's right on all those points, but it's also investment and it's really incredibly expensive. So if you're not building preference for your brand. If that has fallen off, then that's one less leverage point you have. And so now it really does fall, doesn't it, to product value. And so people are looking at some of the stuff that they're being offered by some of the other people and they're going, you know what, I can do better. Um, I can either import it or I can create it and do my own private label and I can build value in it. And I think there's also more, some of the guys doing some of that also believe more strongly than ever that their store is in fact the brand, right? We create their experience. We're building value. We're spending the money, right? Look at Badcock, right? We just, I just got back and we talked about the new Stanhope line they're doing. Um, they put all the money in the market. People come and trust them. So when their name is on it, there's value in that. And then when you compare the products that they have to what other people are offering on their floor, there's value. So better margin for the retailer, um, less relevance in brand from guys that aren't spending money like they used to, like awareness versus preference, right? And uh, then back to what you said, the 99%, which is money. Steven Stone said it on the podcast where he was on there. He said, a brand tells you what to buy, product brand tells you what to buy, a retailer brand tells you where to buy it. Right. So if you have people coming into the marketplace primed and prepped with brand preference for like Melanie was talking, like a, like a SSB style product, whatever that family of brands is, then the retail, I mean, think about how retail used to operate invariably. Well, we keep a few of the brands on the floor and that brings people in the door and then we sell them that if they really want it or we have these other options that we make a little more money on. But they, you know, a lot of people merchandise that way. We keep the brands and then there was everything else. So I, I think if you're, you're looking at, are you the brand or is the product the brand? It's both. It's the product is what to buy. And, and here's the deal. If you're a product, if you're a mattress brand and you can't do a better job than the retailer of telling people, this is what you should buy and why, then the retailer, which is the where to buy brand is going to come in private label something and do a better job than you then they, then you don't deserve the business, right? No, no question. Unless there's something else like they're really good at distribution and they, you know, keep my 
price is low and I don't have, I don't get calls about the bed. I mean, there's other stuff there, but I mean, you know, so, money, so, money comes down to the answer, but also you, you tend to lose money if you're not filling in the consumer and creating the experience you think is best. I really like what you just said. So you don't earn the business. Right. So how do you earn the business if you're a product, if you make a mattress in the mattress industry, you earn the business by either creating pull by the consumer, by advertising the heck out of what you do and driving them into stores. That's one way. Right. The other way is um, having products on a floor that win. They look better. They feel better. There's a better selling presentation. Uh, there's more affection towards it because of whatever reasons that are, have been created. But you have to win it. Every day you have to win it, um, you know, and I, I, I didn't mention Dan Murphy and what they do at home furniture up in Minnesota, but those guys too. Dan is an old betting guy. He used to work for Simmons um, and he has created private label and, and it's beautiful stuff. It's really good looking stuff and the value is significant on their floor. So their retail salespeople, they get behind that stuff. They like it and they lean into it because... Um, you know, the, the, the retailer, right. The, the merchant has convinced them and they've done a good job of selling it in. If you had a store, would you have private label? Would it be all private label? Like how would you handle it? Would it be Mark's hundred percent, hundred percent Englander top to bottom? <laughs> there you go. So trade brand. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I go back to what Harry Roberts said on this podcast. And if you haven't heard Harry Roberts part one and two, uh, Part one is the most listened to podcast of the year. So go check it out at mattresspodcast.com. That's, we've got that URL now, yes. mattresspodcast.com. You can go to the Harry, you could search for Harry Roberts. But Harry, we were like, when in your, your, in the life cycle of you starting Mattress Firm to when you sold it? And now he's the largest licensee. But when in that life cycle were you the most successful? What actually helped you gain traction? And he said it was whenever they fully merchandised Sealy on their floor and put all of their advertising behind Sealy. So they had, I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of like a Casper style approach for retail early sure. on. It was one, one product message or one brand message. And he said, we had people writing checks to Sealy because they thought it was a Sealy store. But he goes, we were incredibly successful, but it was a unified message and it was what to buy, holding hands with where to buy. And back then, Sealy, because I worked for them, was spending about 40, 50 million a year, which compared to what's going on today isn't even that much, oddly enough. Still a lot of money, but they were spending a lot of money. So then the synergy of that, and then you add to it what Matt Firm was doing, then that's just fuel to the fire. So, I mean, it made sense that they did that. By the way, we've mentioned Harry in a lot of podcasts. He said he was going to buy us a tequila shot. Remember that? Well, I think. Because we're coming to Houston. So here's my thing. I think every time we mention Harry in a podcast, Harry should have to buy us another tequila shot. <laughs> what do you think? I like that a lot. <laughs> I think that all at once, maybe, maybe. Uh, it just depends on where the night's but going. Every, every podcast episode, I'm just saying, every podcast, if we mention, find a way to work him into this conversation, then we'll have like a whole table full of tequila shots. I like this. All right. So we anyway. should, okay, maybe we should do a tequila shot podcast with Harry Ooh, in person. That's really good. In Houston. I'll just bring, yeah, I like All right. that. All right. That'll be part three. I like part dose better though. <laughs> part dose. <laughs> anyway, so go ahead. Well, I think to, to kind of bring it back full circle, when you look at the, the landscape of the industry, you've got 
brands with maybe some sort of preference. You have online brands, a lot of them with some preference, private label, and then you have trade brands. But I think what this comes down to is I don't want, like if I was sitting down and talking to a retailer that I loved and really trying to give my honest advice and opinion, I would say, look, don't be fooled that brands don't matter. It's just the way that brands are going to come to market and be built is different than how it used to get done. So that's why I get phone calls from friends asking for some of the online brands. Do you know anybody there? We're, we've mm -hmm. brought in Nectar. We want to talk about purple. And it's just, it's just the nature of how brands are going to be built in the future. And so just because it's not the traditional brands doesn't mean brand preference can't exist or can't be built. It's just going to be different how we go about it. So it's just the evolution of the industry. It's an exciting time. And here's the deal. Just because the online folks have like really picked up some traction and visibility in the past few years, that doesn't mean that the, there isn't room for more brands. And I, and I firmly believe that it's categorical in nature. So people don't think about like the model names, but they do think about your categories. And so if you can figure out a way to own a category, I think it's a very strong entry point into carving out some of that mind space for consumers and having something that's different and unique. And of course, when that happens, you're going to have people coming in, you're going to have retailers who want to put it on their floor. So I think you're right. Brands matter. Uh, I think brands matter also includes store brand, right? Yeah. Uh, they and, can, if you invest in sure. it. Sure. And, and I think for people listening to this too, uh, you and I have done very deep dives on this, but so think about brand as well. Like what is a brand? Um, a brand, I saw a graphic once that said, so there's an iceberg and there's the tip of the iceberg, right? Um, that is on top of the water. And so that is the logo, right? right. And then under the water is your people and how they answer the phone. Um, the culture. They, they work in submarines. They were, yeah, exactly right. Uh, the people, how they answer the phone, it's the culture of your company, it's how you treat your customers, it's service, it's what does your advertising say? So that's like brand, right? It's a, brand is a big, big thing. So here's here's push on this if you don't agree. My, my sense of brand is if your logo pops up on a screen during a presentation, um, then if people feel something from seeing that, feel something, they get triggered that way, then you have a brand. If there's an affection towards it, if there's a sentiment, a reaction towards, of if some sort. If there's a reaction, like, and if not, they can be a mad reaction. You still have a brand. Yep, no question. And and but if, if they pop it up and they go, uh, you know, yeah, recognize it, but don't know anything. Oh, about that's it. that new fast food restaurant called Nothing Burger. Yeah, exactly. But you look at even you, you pop up those logos. Think about industry logos. Pop them up on a screen, and then you go, yeah, I know it, but I like I don't even I don't know what they're about. Um, I don't know what they do. I don't know what they stand for. You know, there's, it's just, I'm kind of empty there. Then I think maybe you don't have a brand and that's the opportunity retailer the same way. Right. So you look at a sit and sleep or you look at a Jordans or you look at those guys who really do a great job of presence gallery furniture, gallery furniture. Yes. Mac has presence in his market. People love him because of what he does. It's not just the gallery brand. We open our doors and welcome you if you've lost your home in a hurricane. That's freaking beautiful and glorious. And 
will buy your mattress if the Astros win the World Series. That's fun and exciting. And him as a person, philanthropic, going to schools and giving speeches, they feel something about that brand. And so I think if, there, if you can elicit some response that way, what do you think? Is that a fair litmus test for a brand? Is that too high a hurdle? I've heard Bezos say your brand is what somebody says when you leave the room. So, hmm. and, and if you leave the room and nobody says anything, then you have no feeling there. So I think that matches up pretty well. So even if it's what a jerk yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever, there's still a, yeah. right. Um, and we, you know, we think about our brand, right? What do we want people to think about the Dos Marcos podcast or what the Dos Marcos brand is? And we really hope that it's a connection to people where they go, Hey, those guys, they're fun and they are about us. They're about helping us figure things out. They're about helping us learn. They're about helping us be better either on the product development side or manufacturing side, or even on the retail side. Or the supplier side. We just, like, I hope that's our brand. I hope that that's when people see yeah. us or whatever. I hope that's the, the feeling they, they get, right? I mean, that's... I'd be kind of scared to know what people say when we walk out of the room. Uh, <laughs> next time we're going to find out. So before we exit here, I want to ask you a question. Um, by the way, we have some comments. Do you want to look at these? Yeah, I, was, I wish that when you're doing Facebook Live, it would scroll down automatically because we had Don Wright weighing in about brands being the great qualifier about, uh, well, TJ had a lot to say about private label. So maybe we can talk to Zuckerberg again and try to get it to scroll down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're my uncle Chris, uh, even chimes in here. So he says, great job guys. So there's that. Thanks uncle Chris. How about that? Uh, Don Wright, great opportunity for a retailer to own their name and reinforce their value prop. No doubt. He says it's both. Um, private brands allow them to improve margin for sure. Tom says private label allows for a retailer to customize a piece compared to SSB and TSI as you get to choose from their lineup as larger brands start to pull quality and increase pricing. And these use searching for something to fill the space. And then Katie Law joined. What's up, Katie? What's up, Katie Law? National brands, Don says, with a shop local story is a winning combination. Hard to argue with that. So... Let's talk about this. And he though. said you're an asset to the industry. Oh, thank I'm you, I'm sure Don. he's talking about. I, I hope it was when I we think start he's talking, talking about, about. You're talking about Mark? Or, the, or Mark. Uh, the Des Marcos brand, hopefully. Um, so here's Thanks, the, the last question for you. Um, if people, like I think people go, oh, we tried private label and maybe it doesn't work. Um, one of those things is what, is what is the right way to do private label? So here's my theory and react to this one. If all you do in your retailer is you come to market with a private label brand, which means we're going to find some product. We think we have a window between $3.99 and $9.99. We're going to build beds that look good, feel good, right? So that's one approach. And I've seen this happen many times. And they'll launch and they'll put those on the floor. But it's it, they're missing it. Because there's so much more to making that work, don't you think? It's got to be killer point of sale. It's got to be a complete selling process so that their people really understand how do you present this differently than the other stuff we have on the floor? Uh, there needs to be an online presence. presence. If you really want to lean into your, your, your private label brand, um, the way it looks on your website needs to be different. The marketing assets that you have need to be dynamic and strong. Um, you need to be able to search for it and understand it. So, right. I mean, private label isn't yeah. just building a bed and throwing it on a floor. Private label is pretty deep in terms of what it really means. What do you think about that? 
I think I'm in the middle of trying to do exactly what you're talking about doing with Englander. I mean, I, I've said it publicly. I mean, Englander, it pretty much turned into a label, right? You know, it, we so didn't, when you pop that image on the screen, there was no, no reaction. Not for to me. That. Yeah. I mean, early on, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm working to change because when you start mining this, the brand for the history and the innovation. At one time, it was the number two brand in the country. Uh, the innovations in latex and being owned by Goodyear. There's so much rich information out there that it just needs to be updated. The story needs to be told and we need to, you know, do everything that needs to be done in a modern way to attract attention, to serve people whenever they're in the search phase. And we've, we've got, you know, good feels and products that, that don't get returned, but I'm like, that's table stakes. Right. So I'm going from label that was underinvested, which is what you're talking about people doing at retail to a professionally presented product, true national lineup, fully supported stem to stern. So, I, I mean, I get it. I get what it takes and it's a lot. I mean, it is a lot of detail and it's a lot of making sure that your marketing message holds hands with the brand pillars that you put in place, like who you really want to be. The marketing message is linked directly to the product. So it's not just like, oh, this is one thing over here, but then we're going to talk about this. No, it needs to all have some cohesiveness to it. So it takes a lot of like thought, takes a lot of really hard work. It takes bringing together some, some incredible, incredibly smart people. Um, and that's, you know, that's what we've been spending our time doing. So I know what it takes. It's not easy. It's not easy. So, um, sum it all up. I think private label really smart for people if they want to do it the right way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think having can be, yeah, yeah. I think so. Creating your own brand, creating your own thing to increase profitability, which is likely what you get, increase value to the consumer. Um, but you got to do it the right way, not the wrong way. Well, and you got to invest in it too. You do Exa exactly because the first year is nothing. This is what you have to count on. Your first year of your brand is worthless. So are you, are you willing to go through 12 months of having virtually no traction? I don't know if I agree with that. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, and, right, is that what you're you, you teach me, to not just blow it out? No, I, I think parts of that are true, but isn't it, like, if, if you, if if you're, you're, as a retailer, you are a brand. If you're, if you're developing a private label brand, and you want it to actually be a brand within your retail environment. For sure, agree with that. If you're just putting yeah. a label on something, you're like, okay, yeah. let's get our, let's make sure our salespeople show this first. That is very different than investing yeah. in a house brand. Yeah, I think that's true. I think I think you'll get sales. So you were disagreeing. Well, with I didn't the wrong the part. Way you said it. You need to communicate differently. No, that's no. all I'm, I'm working you. on it. I'm working. No, on no, it. no, I misunderstood you. Like I think that's true. I think that. But I think that if you launch a private label, I think there's a lot of people that have done that and they yeah. get sales, right? But I mean, to really cross the threshold of meaning for right. the brand to mean, so, which is what you were saying, which I do agree with. Yes, yeah, so really to mean something. And that separates the pack even more because then, you have, then you have a merchandising decision versus, versus a long-term decision. Because if you're like, oh, we're just gonna private label and fill in this yeah. slot and we need like a cheapo foam mattress that can compete with those Chinese imports, which dropped to 2%, by the way. Um, then that's a different decision than we're going to create a house brand and we're really going to pump advertising behind it and train people up and we're going to innovate around that product line. Those are two very different things within the private label 
tree branches and I'm sure they go on and on from there. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, back to this. So what would the floor look like if we owned a store? Probably a hybrid approach to that, right? So you have some brand, um, hopefully relevant brands that, you know, have some connection to consumer. And then you can stir that in with uh, some of the private label stuff that you create yourself um, to kind of build your own thing and uh, deliver some different types of values and customize it for what you know your market is. And then maybe there's even the Spink and Co strategy of something special, right? Some kind of uh, Laniap, something extra, a treasure hunt kind of thing, a wow, like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect to see that kind of product. Yeah. Um, the craft beer, right? The, the artisan brand. Um, then wouldn't and that other, be the perfect floor? Right? Yeah. And other stuff like, like you're talking about. I mean, when you say something I really didn't expect to see, that's like the environment you need to create because it becomes remarkable. Like what can you do that's so true. worthy of somebody sharing with their friends and family? Oh, I came in and there's some fluorescent lights overhead and like, as you know, some matches and they're pretty comfortable. Nobody's going to talk about that. No, they're not gonna. No, they're not. So game has changed. Hey, we've, we've before did we, we solve I, anything. Oh. I think we did. Pure Care promo. Pure Care promo. Oh, you know what? This is pull huge. that up. Let's do that because we were talking to Sarah Bergman from Pure Care. What's up, Sarah? Um, and is she? I don't think she's gonna be on the show this week because we're doing promo stuff. Because we want to get you ready for the holiday season and first quarter twenty twenty. Uh, Pure Care has a an exclusive promo promo. So check this out. Right so check this out. Okay. I want to get the details right. Yeah. Sarah's yeah. Yeah. So she's uh, going to be going to China. So oh. she's like, you guys just handle this. I'm like, Hey, we got this. Gotcha. No yeah. Okay. So here we go. Um, pure care in. So if you're a nation, we tell her to bring me back one of those finger traps, by the way, finger trap, the Chinese finger, like yeah. handcuffs. You'll yeah. never get out of that. That's true. Like, what are you going to do? I mean, you, <laughs> I was going to give it to you and, <laughs> And let me fumble around, and I, I can't even drive home with that. I'd have That's my right. fingers stuck in there. So, uh, came, uh, so here's 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 something that they they recently did, and for retailers wanting to um, really add value to their first and second quarter of next year, here's the thing: if you're a if you are a nationwide dealer, and you have not yet bought from Nationwide, you know what they're going to do? Thirty percent off. Bingo. Think about that. That's a big freaking savings. 30% off on the entire opening order. So that's number one. And by the way, this goes to anyone. It's not just nationwide members, she said. So if you are a pure care, if you have interest in the essentials category and you haven't been buying from pure care, come and check it out at purecare.com and they'll give you a 30% off your opening order. So that's really cool. Um, so it's available to nationwide retailers and anyone not carrying it. Um, also, if you want to check that out, you can go to 30 for 30, 30 F O R 30 at purecare.com. No, 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 that's the email address. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not a website. If you go to 30 for 30, it's probably ESPN popping up. Okay. True. True that. Um, yeah. So but you can email, email them if you 30 for 30, 30 for 30 at purecare.com for inquiries and they'll hook you up. Uh, they'll send you an email back right away. Yeah. And great opportunity, she says, for the holiday uh, sleep essentials, good for quarter four of this year or quarter one of next year. And if you're That's trying huge. to like stack your stuff for Black Friday and the holiday selling season, you're, you're thinking, you know, all that fun stuff, now's the time to do it. So cool, cool. You know, Katie Law, before we leave this, I think we should just finish with uh, her comment here, which says, no matter what, whether you're a national line or 
um, a private label line. Best story, story wins. wins. How true is that? You can bounce on it. Oh, oh. What is a hybrid? It's like peanut butter jelly, peanut butter chocolate. Hybrid so tight, there's no way that you could topple it. Hybrid on my wrist, that's a calculator watch. We add ourselves together and we take it up a notch. Got the airflow, yo, keep you cool as it get. Visco foam alone to make you drip sweat. Get a hybrid mattress, yes, you'll get better rest. Cool and comfortable, hybrid like a sweater vest. You know the game, we're ahead of the sun. Cause the two of us together are way better than one. Cause I'm cool. Cool as ice. And I'm hot like a heater. Bounce by the ounce. Now we got it by the leader. Well, you take a spring and you wrap it up right. You can sleep so smooth or bounce all night. Yeah. Put two together, get a whole lot more. Get the feel of the comfort core. You can bounce on it. Lay back, you don't have to practice. It's the best thing to happen to your mattress. Get together to do it like I did. Everybody get high. If you want somebody to get in your vicinity, you probably want to feel a little bit of a hybridity. Foam alone, out of five, maybe one star. Springs and foam, we're taking care of that lumbar. Mad back support, the best way to shack up or just get rest that won't mess your back up. Like a hot chick mixed with a particle physicist or a mullet. Party in the back of the business. Best of both worlds like Mars and Venus. The ultimate hybrid. Keeping it loose while keeping it tight We can make you sleep or play all night Put two together, get a whole lot more Get the feel of the comfort core You can bounce on it No stopping when the beat gets played back Springs keep it popping, foam keeps it laid back Party over here, get invited Everybody get hybrid Right. Listen, doesn't matter if your kitchen is charming When your bedroom's the most important part of the apartment What kind of bed do you keep back there? Does your girl want to chill on a beanbag chair? Hell no, you need springs and foam Cause if that bowling ball don't bounce, you'll be sleeping alone And if the bed don't react, then you can't get low We got that type of bounce that won't spill your Merlot So stick with us and you'll get rewarded Cause I'm so gentle and I'm so supportive is where the magic is. And we just killed a song about mattresses.